Welcome to the Daily Boogie. And a good evening, everybody. Chris McDonald, Mac Powell, broadcast. I've got my dear friend from down under, Boogie Bumper, who is uh, looks like he's dripping green on the screen, as he always does. He drips something, that's for sure. Boogie, how are you, buddy? Good to see you, my friend. Very good, very good. Thanks for having me on again, Chris. Absolute pleasure. Been looking forward to it. We don't talk often enough. Um, but that's probably a good thing. I think a lot of people out there don't want us talking too often. <laughs> Because you know, <laughs> probably true. As we, we've discussed uh, in the past. Drunk boogie, me and you were on all the time. There was no telling what would happen. We <laughs> would have a anarchist riot scene in America and in Australia. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's good to see you, buddy. It really is. I, I actually had to pull my hat out. Uh, I I had a hat. I have to show this hat in the screen. I was going to wear this one and I asked Boogie. I said, "Is this sort of like a down under hat or some kind of uh, native hat?" He looked at me. He said, "It's a French hat." And I said, blank that. So I went and got my Trump Make America Great Again. <laughs> can we can we get you in a yellow I said, vest? We're not looking like French on here. I can tell you that. That's the last thing we're going to be looking like is the French. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe, Chris, we can get you in a yellow vest then. Would that be would that be okay? Hell yeah. I need that. Absolutely. Uh that would that I would wear. That I would wear, because I would I would be a hellraiser in France, that's for sure. But uh this was actually, I got this during the walkaway march. You can see the signature of it. It's a signed edition hat. Huh. So mine's special. It's not the red hat the kid was wearing in Covington, mm. uh, from Covington Catholic, but it, it's close. And uh, we may have to wear well, this again. Lucky, hey, lucky um, for you. Lucky for you it's not red, Chris, because otherwise they'd be hunting you down right now. You'd be accused of basically genociding the Native American population, <laughs> attacking, the black, right, attacking the black Israelis. Wherever they came from, who knows? But you'd you'd be guilty of all of this. You can't have that, can you? But I guess you're lucky, Chris. You're lucky because, um, correct me if I'm mistaken. You don't. I think you're maybe a little bit older than sixteen. Would that be a fair statement to make? Or, <laughs> so you might be safe. You might be safe. Maybe they maybe they won't come after you after all. Oh, that's true. Just a little, little older than sixteen. Uh, yeah, that would uh, that makes me feel good, Boogie. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I got to think about how old I am now. You know, it is depressing. You know, you get on these websites and they have to scroll. You know, it's just what's your age, and they got these things you pull down. It's terrible to have to take twenty minutes to find to scroll all the way down to the year you were born. I mean, it's pretty bad, man. It's just it's sad. It's just sad, sad, bro. It's just sad, bro. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. Absolutely, man. Hey, let's let's uh, let's talk about these covenant kids. I'm glad you brought sure. that up, and uh, it's it's really been despicable. And look, uh, we'll be here in this few days after this, uh, but uh, it's I'm sure it'll still be in the news. We're coming up on the State of the Union here Tuesday night, but Boogie, honestly, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything as despicable. Well, let me change that. I have to mm-hmm. look. I, I shouldn't say we should be surprised by this stuff. Um, I think Breitbart put out an article uh, Saturday, and it was great. About four uh, already since January one, there's been four bombshell uh, media meltdowns that they have got it totally wrong, totally fake news that they were running with the story. And then all of a sudden, boom, something came out and they realized what they were saying is false. They had to backpedal it. And these were not minor stories either. 
uh, and I'll mention them to you, and then we'll get to the kids. But first one was Cortex, or uh, as James calls her, occasional Cortex, up in um, <clears throat> New York, where they accused the Republicans of putting out this quote-unquote fake video of her disco dancing when she was in high school. Come to find out, she's the one that put it out on her own Instagram page. But the Republicans were being blamed for it and conservatives for making her look bad, which I don't think we have to do too much to make Miss Cortez look bad. (laughs) The second one was the outing, uh, supposedly outing of Lindsey Graham when uh, Mrs. Omar Omar up in Minnesota Mm. um, claimed that the reason that Lindsey Graham was uh, supporting President Trump was that President Trump knew he was gay and he didn't want uh, President Trump to out him. Uh, I got. I have to, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. If the Chile knew, if President Trump wanted to da- damage Lindsey Graham, he'd have done that long ago. Because Lindsey Graham has done so much shit to the president, it ain't funny. That would have already been out in the public. I mean, that sure. was stupid. But the media ran with that story, and then they couldn't get her to prove that, so they backed off that. And then you had the the bus fraud story, as Mike Closer affectionately calls BuzzFeed. And uh, that story was where he, that Michael Cohen claimed that uh, <clears throat> supposedly Trump told him to lie to Congress. And, and Boogie, even as we're talking, there's another story circulating today that, that Cohen is delaying his testimony before the congressional committee because, quote, he's getting threats from the Trump family, which is a, another story the media is running with this afternoon. And then the fourth story is the one we're talking about now where you have, again, a bunch of high schoolers wearing mega hats at a March for Life rally, and this creepy guy that looks like something out of a freaking bad Godzilla movie Mm -hmm. uh, or the creature from the Black Lagoon movie who supposedly is a vet, that he walks up beating a drum, gets in the face of these kids, and all the kid does is sit there and smile at him. And uh, Boogie, no offense, but if some creepazoid like that's walking up and getting three feet in front of my face, uh, in my Australian voice, I'm saying to go, what do you yourself and uh, get stuff out of my space? How about you, bro? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, see, when you're a kid, can try and put yourself in the place of these kids for a second here, right? I mean, have you seen the video of the kind of verbal abuse that they were getting thrown at them by, by oh. grown men, right? And it was Terrible. it was highly aggressive. Right now, some some kids would front that. Some kids would step to that and say, "Okay, you know what? Let's do this." But uh, a lot of kids wouldn't, and it's understandable because you know you're talking about grown men here who are acting aggressive towards you, and it's not something you know. Kids like to, kids are tough when they're dealing with other kids, but you, you know when they're faced with angry, fully grown men screaming at them, and you know you cracker and all this kind of stuff. They, they tend to shrink away a little bit, and that's totally understandable. It, it was interesting just listening to your recanting there of all of these different stories. Look at the theme. There's a theme that runs through all of these, and maybe people haven't identified it, but look at the method here. See, what does Antifa do, and what do agitators in public space do? Now, they do a lot of things, right? But one of the things that they do is they're very they're good at it and they're trained at it, it's about provoking responses, right? And That's right. so they That's will right. they will do things like they'll push into you and then if you turn around and push them back, they'll scream like the victim. Oh, so you're assaulting me. Now, look at what Michael Cohen's doing. Michael Cohen is the one that's been on the front foot for months attacking Trump and now he needs to be the victim, right? 
look at this current story. Uh, let me put this up on screen for you for a second here. This Because I was looking at this this morning. Have a look at this. This is Kirsten Powers from the Washington Post. Now, this is, this is complete. This is a mirror effect. This is unreal. This is a quote from her. This Washington Post story captures the real lesson of this episode. Don't succumb to orchestrated harassment campaigns against journalists, Chris. Lord. Against journalists. Here's the article. A viral story spread. The mainstream media rushed to keep up. The Trump internet pounced. And if you go down here, so they say, oh, we were doing our best to keep up with this story as it was as it was going. You know, we worked diligently, but facts just happened to come to light the next day. We all had access to these videos hours afterwards. But look at this. Now a new viral outrage emerged. This time the villain of the story was the news media. That outrage came from a parallel universe online. That's you and me. We're, we're part That's of the right. parallel universe now for telling the truth. One that has been waiting for a moment like this. The, po- the pro-Trump internet has for years worked to create a media environment that is designed to destroy traditional news media and replace it. You see, Chris, the moral of the story here is it's all our fault because we've this has been an orchestrated camp. They see the, the the traditional news media. You've just run through those fake news stories. That's no, that's not that's not their fault. No, it's an orchestrated campaign from guys like you and me to take them down. That's why these things are happening. And look at the the theme runs through all of these activist movements, doesn't it? You provoke, you push, and then when you get the push back, oh stop! What are you doing? I'm an I'm an innocent party here. The politicians on the left do that. Look at uh, Ilan Omar, right? Look at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They provoke, and which is fine. Like, I happen to think that Ilan Omar thing with Lindsey Graham was a grade A troll. I thought it was fantastic trolling. Well done. Hey, you know, we've been saying some pretty horrible things about Democrat politicians for a few years too. We've got to, we've got to expect some hits coming back. That's fine. But then the difference is when you come back and say, well, you know, this is bullshit. Sorry for my language, but this is obviously bullshit. Then it's become, oh, well, now you're just attacking a Muslim woman and I'm a victim. Right. That's right, Boogie. And it's, it's happening all over the place, right? And I, I can't, I, like, I'm beside myself. At first I thought, I don't know any human being low enough to get in the face of a group of children minding their own business for your own political agenda. Like, I, I, I don't know anybody that low, but trust the mainstream corporate press, Chris. Not only have they found somebody that low, they've then put them on prime time and said, everybody must worship this person. Like these are the actions of a you know a good, balanced, tolerant, progressive human being. This is what we want to mirror. So not only do they do that, but then like to sit back after all we've seen over over the last few days and say, you know what, the real victims here are us, the media. And how dare you pro-Trump people, you know, get in our face. You are targeting, you are harassing us. You're this is targeted bullying of us, the journalists. It's it's unbelievable. Like you can't, you can't, you're gobsmacked, aren't you? Like just just one time, mea culpa, can it take place? And see, when you add all of these things together, you have to be you have to have a particular level of entitlement and lack complete complete lack of self-reflection, right? Now, some of us aren't the best Christians in the world, and you know, we may have histories and people in the audience, you know, you might be living in sin right now, but you probably still have the ability to look at things you've done or look in your life and say, you know what, that's on me. Like, I did that. 
but this this level of just hubris you you can barely contemplate it and it becomes impossible to argue against it you know you know when you're confronted with this where their actions have specifically led to the acceleration of a hoax story to the point of a school having to be closed because people were threatening to kill children in the school and they still sit back and say you know what it's all the trump supporters fault it's it's amazing it's breathtaking like how do you explain that Boogie, you don't explain it other than the, the hatred syndrome, and, and you just you bring out really the fight that we fight. They are the best at this. And you know, it's funny that we, we've talked about this before, and we'll probably get into it a little bit more tonight a little bit, because we, we, we on the right do not, I think we underestimate how deeply committed these people are mm. to the destruction of this country and this president. I think we don't think they're going to play dirty. That we don't, we we don't, we you know because we we come to the card game with all good intentions that everybody's going to play fair at the card table, and you know we never believe in our wildest imagination that the guy beside us has got you know six cards up his sleeve and he's going to pull those out and play dirty as we're as we're playing this game, uh, sitting around this table, and it's not a game, but that's how they look at it, and look. The victim mentality thing it draws sympathy and, and it and it flexes it deflects the story and uh, you know when you start talking about the media's handling of this boogie even Joy Behar today she slipped up and she said it I mean she actually came out and at least I like I hate Joy Behar I can't stand her uh, I think she should have been fired for numerous offenses that any other conservative journalist would have been fired for in two seconds um, but. This worthless POS, whatever she is, but she admitted it today. That and she said basically, she said that the reason the media was quick to pounce on the story of the boys was the fact that we on the left are so hell bent on getting Trump out of office. And I was like, Oh my God, Correct. a moment of clarity from Joy Behar. Yep. Even though I didn't like what she said, I was like, Joy's being honest. Yep. That's exactly what they were doing. And that's why they rushed to judgment. Can you, you know, and I'll tell you, and I'll, I'll go back to the BuzzFeed story, Boogie. If if you go back and, and you're really good, I think you're the one that gave James a video Friday night on a pirate show about the news media, uh, you know, the the mimicking, the mouse, the, yes. the, the, you know, every other word being the same out of every local news outlet. And, um, you know, I, I was just thinking about this with the BuzzFeed story. There's another key phrase that was being peddled uh, all weekend prior to the Mueller people knocking the story down. And that was, if this is true, mm. if this is true, if this is true, we got an impeachment. If this is true. And Boogie, they hide behind these phrases like that to where they cover their ass. But yet, if if they're if they are, they're proven wrong, then they can go back and say, well, we never said it was true. We said, if, it's, if it is true, mm. insinuating it is, but saying if it is. And they did the same thing with these boys. In other words, they they all of a sudden said, well, you know, we we were sort of and like you just read the story. We were in the fog. You know, we were just trying to get to the, the truth of the story and we didn't know what was going on. And and, you know, we, we may have rushed judgment a little bit, but I don't hold I don't hold them guiltless in this. They're just as guilty. And I'm going to tell you, Boogie, I don't know who you follow. You know, people like Scott Adams, the conservatives are just as bad, man. Yeah. They did. They did worse. Some of them did worse than mm -hmm. these liberal commentators. I mean, yet Scott Adams, who's one of the most conservative voices supposedly on the Periscope, 
um, you know, calling these kids assholes. You got Hugh Hewitt quoting the Bible, talking about their behavior, that their parents should have taught them better to act out in public than the way they acted. And I thought to myself, what the hell are you talking about, Hugh? What was these kids supposed to do? I mean, what, what more could they not have done? I mean, they didn't do anything. They didn't throw stuff at this guy. They didn't beat him up. They didn't raise a finger to touch him. They just stood there and smiled. Yep. Now, eventually, when the other groups were hurling their insults, a few of the kids started talking back. But boogie, they're 16-year-olds. What the hell do they expect? I'd have been talking back, and I'm 54. Yeah. I'd have been doing a lot, hell of a lot more than this kid did. I can tell you that. Yeah. I probably would have embarrassed myself if my kids disowned me. And my family <laughs> said, my name is, uh, his, not, his last name is not McDonald. His last name is Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, there, there's a lot to unpack there, but let's start with the last thing first. You were talking about the kids just standing there and smiling, right? In the face of this aggression and in the face of them being approached. Now, look at the framing here. See, what the left understands very well is like the memetics of symbology. I want you to consider for a moment yourself and people watching this show. What would happen, say, if it was a group of left-wing, let's not even say left-wing students. Let's say it was a group of kids from a common core school and they were wearing Che Guevara hats or, you know, (laughs) communist hats. And there was, you know, a right-wing protester approaching them. The story would be uh, heroic kids stand defiant in the face of resistance or something like that, right? Heroic kids don't take a a backward step. And what what I I think part of, whether it's, it's consciously or subconsciously, part of the rush, not only is it to attack Donald Trump, but it's also to attack the symbology around support for him. And if, you know, because a kid standing there smiling in the face of left-wing outrage, Chris, you could say this kid was standing defiant. He didn't take a backward step. They can't have that. They need you to heal. They need you to, you know, to steal a line from Alex Jones. They need you to roll over on your back like a scolded dog and whiz on yourself at the first sign of confrontation. This is where they want you to be. So that's part of it. With Scott Adams, to be fair, he's you know his personal politics. He's he's further left than Bernie Sanders. Like he's is not he? a conser- Oh, absolutely, he's not a conservative. He he wants uh, free healthcare, free education. But that's fine. That's his personal politics. I think the disappointing thing for people who watch Scott Adams is, and this is part of why his appeal. If if you didn't know that his personal politics were that far to the left, that shows how objective he normally is, right? that he will just call it as he sees it, regardless of his own personal biases. And that's, I think, the disappointing thing here, that the guy who is so far left that buses don't go there, yet many people believe he is a conservative because he judges things so objectively, still got it wrong, right? He still jumped on the bandwagon. Um, The other thing, too, with other conservatives, I mean, look at uh, the National Review, for example. You know, the former home of uh, the great, you know, William Buckley, right? So, right? They they came out with their story within minutes and said that these children, these Catholic boys, were spitting on the cross. That's a quote. Exactly. I saw that. Spitting on the cross. And I think a lot of it has to do with what I was talking about with, you know, a lot of conservatives, a lot of people on the right have been trained to heal. And, you know, we are, here's something, you know, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not trying to make a moral judgment here. This is just purely observation, right? The left never disavows. <laughs> the left does not disavow their own. 
And we have been trained to jump at the opportunity to, to, to disavow our own. Why? Because of this, you know, this moral, uh, would you say, vanity that surrounds the right. It's like, you know what? We're better than this. We're good people. And at, at the first sign, even with incomplete information, we have to we have to cast people aside. Oh, they're spitting on the cross. They're idiots. We don't, they're not on our team. We're better than that. Don't you please don't associate them with us? Of course, it makes no difference. They're going if they're going to associate Adolf Hitler with you then they're going to associate pretty much because it doesn't get much worse than Adolf Hitler, does it? So everyone else in between, everyone else in between on that spectrum is going to be associated with you as long as they can be called bad. That's fine. So, you know, but we still, we jump to these conclusions because we're trying to appease somebody who is unappeasable. And we've been trained that way. We've been trained to heal in a lot of respects. And you know what? Like a shining light of this moment is, that face, that the the image of that guy, you know, and they were saying, oh, he needs to be punched. The school needs to be burned down. There was there were blue check marks on Twitter, Chris, saying this kid needs to be fed into a wood chipper, right? And I saw that. This this could be like I know we've said it before. It's almost as you know repeatable as oh, this is the end of Trump. I think on on our side, we've been saying this could be the end of the mainstream press for a long time as well. But this oh, could, yeah. this could definitely be a crossroads moment. I think. Because there you have it, even if people don't want to admit it, there was the face of defiance, so to speak, you know, and you know what, we're not, we're, we don't care about your outrage anymore. We're done. We're done. I think we're done, Boogie. And, you know, I told somebody earlier today in an interview, we were talking about the media and I think they're also like an animal boogie that knows it's dying mm. and, you know, they become, I think Prey and Medic sort of put this out here a few weeks ago and he made a great analogy about it and i've been chewing on it for a few weeks now it's, it's really true about a lot of things it's true about a lot of these politicians the way they're acting maybe some of these people know they're going to jail and that's why they're doing the things they do but it really it, it really epitomizes the media too because if you get an animal caught in the corner and he's dying and and he's fighting for survival and he he's got nowhere to go you got him pinned in he starts attacking that da- that animal becomes more dangerous then that ever will be. That dog may have never bit you, may have never done anything before in his life, but if you get him trapped and he's got nowhere to turn, let me tell you something, that dog can turn lethal. And I think, Boogie, the media knows it's dying. They know people are tuning him out. They know that people are not listening to him no more, and they know that they've got nothing to lose, and they know that people are turning to alternative media. They know that social media is becoming the new, new source. Uh, the online headlines and people are picking their places to listen. They're not listening to, again, the mainstream media. And I think that makes them even more dangerous in the sense they can pull this crap, get away with it. And they don't even care anymore. Boogie. Mm-hmm. They've, they've, they've lost all sense of that. They, they don't even mind it anymore. It's out there in the open and they're not even ashamed about it. Um, I, I'll share this story. I shared it on another show and people hear it again. Uh, uh, but it, it sort of epitomizes how we've come in 20 years, 30 years in the industry. I got my first newspaper job ever in 1991, mm. and I worked at a little small newspaper in southern Georgia. And long story short, we had a shooting uh, one year at a local high school, and there was a city high school and a county high school. And the reporter at question, she got the location mixed up. Uh, it was honest error, but the police report had it listed as, as the county high school when, in fact, it was the city high school. And um, they had went with the story. The presses were going. 
Mm. Uh, they had been running for probably about 30 minutes. You could, cause in the newsroom where we worked, you could hear them when they started running the paper for the day. And when they found this out, it was, it was a weird thing. The way it happened, the way we found out it was the other high school. I'll forget my editor jumping up. You can see his papers flying off his desk. I mean, he was running to the press and he screamed, stop the blanking press, stop the press, stop the press. And they had probably printed probably a few hundred papers already ready to go out. Wow. They stopped the press that day, Boogie, and corrected that story. Now, that was just a local shooting at a high school, okay? But that was a time that newspapers gave a crap and a shit about whether what they were reporting was right yep. and true. And, Boogie, we, we've lost that right now. They don't even care no more if it's true or not. And they could care less. It's absence of malice, man. They, they're not going to get sued. I mean, how can you sue a paper? How, you know, the parents could probably have a possible lawsuit with the harassment of their kids. But honestly, the legal cost of that and the legal chances of it being successful are very low in this yep. atmosphere we are today. It's very low. Yep. You know, part of part of the reason I do like the kind of show that I do where I focus a lot on the corporate press isn't because, you know, it isn't 100% because it's an easy target, even though it is. It's it's primarily driven by a, a belief, Chris, that I think we deserve better. You know, I think we need better. You know, for a functioning, you know, modern republic or democracy, the press needs to be pit bulls for, you know, ethical standards and the truth. They need to right. they need to be rabid for the truth. Um, you know, <clears throat> I remember a story, I forget I forget the journalist who was involved, but he was writing a book. And he was at a soiree with like all of these political bigwigs, you know, senators and congressmen and stuff. And his friend came up and said, look, I'm going to come and introduce you to this senator. And he said, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to meet him. And he said, why don't you want to meet this senator? And he said, because I might have to write an article about him one day and I don't want my judgment to be tainted. You know, they, they don't make him like that anymore. And that story, no, you, that story you told about that local paper, you know, that would have cost a fortune to stop the presses and it would have taken them hours yeah. and hours to reset the mill and, you know, everything. But you just, that's what you did. But I don't think it's going to get any better. I think we have to get better. And let me preface that. I'm not saying we're doing anything wrong, but little things like earlier in the show, Chris, you were talking about, they put in that caveat, right? Like, if this turns out to be true. Well, I think that's on us because they can slip these things in so casually and so subtly. They're very, very good at it. And it's very manipulative on a very micro level. So when you see something like that, that that's an opinion. That's opinion. That's not reporting. Reporting would be, here's what happened. Here's the time that it happened. Here's the place that it happened. But when you start putting in little things like, well, if this turns out to be true, then this, you know, if this, then that, that's an opinion. That's an opinion piece. Jim Acosta has made a career out of masquerading as a reporter, you know, and I'll, I'll refer to it again along. There's a video. I made a 90 minute video going through Jim Acosta's, you know, little clips line by line by line by line painstakingly. And little things like it seemed like there was a cloud of confusion hanging over the White House today as Mr. Trump addressed the claims by Robert Mueller. But it, no, no, right. that's not a reporting. That's not reporting. No. You, you come out and say, Mr. Exactly. Mr. Trump came out and addressed Robert Mueller today. Dang, bang. Then you're reporting. But if you're talking about it seeming seems like clouds of confusion hanging over the White House, then you're not a reporter. And then, of course, these people have the audacity to come out and say, 
you know, I, well, I'm just reporting the facts. And when I talk about, you know, fake news, this is why I still read this stuff, because from time to time, you can still extract nuggets. When we're talking about fake news, we're not saying that everything that that source says is wrong and everything that this source says is correct, because once you do that, then you're setting yourself up to fail. Then you'll find you'll have to defend, you know, the source that you think is correct when they get something wrong, and you'll be attacking the source that you think is always wrong, even when they get something correct, right? And that's going to make, that's going to feed you down the wrong path. What we're talking about with fake news is the little details, like you said, that can be either, you know, put in there by accident or on purpose in order to build a certain story to create a certain, you know, emotional reaction or a cognitive environment for the audience to then set them off down a different path where they fill in the gaps themselves. That's the problem, right? That's what we're dealing with here. And if we, we can get dealing- better, if we can get better at identifying this, I think it will force the media to come to us. And, you know, if we have to stop watching them, if we have to stop reading them, but, you know, we can call, we, if, if we're instantaneously calling out their bullshit, the editors at some point are going to have to say, you know what, um, Jim, I'm sorry, I've got to let you go. You, n- nobody nobody right. listens to you and you are too obvious. We, we have to get back to what our core business model is. Otherwise, we're all going to be broke. We're all going to be eating bread and water for the rest of our lives. So I'm sorry, you've got to go. Well, <clears throat> you made a tremendous point there and look i think that that's where you hit them you hit them in the damn pocketbook mm-hmm. uh look there's a reason why a lot of these newspapers have gone to online publications because they're broke yeah they've gone bankrupt and they can't they got nowhere to turn man and nobody wants to pay it who wants to pay a dollar for a piece of crap rag that you could wipe your ass with it's toilet paper every day i mean you know that's what that's what the that's what most people call it, right the toilet rag or the rag i mean there's a reason the why they call it a rag magazine because <laughs> that's what you do with it you wipe your ass with it and i mean who, who would want to pay a dollar for that i mean you can go to walmart and buy a roll of toilet paper for 89 cent now you know uh but uh but anyway i mean that's just the analogy of it but look at Again, I go back to the animal analogy, though. They are cornered, and they know they know they're a dying industry. And I just think that they've thrown all, <clears throat> all sense of fairness out the door now. And and mm-hmm. I think that, look, if we've got four stories and we're only on January 23rd when we're recording this, buddy, we got a long year ahead. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to have a long year of this crap, and we might as well just brace ourselves for it. But I, I think what we've got to the point, and it's just like me today, when I read that story about Cohen being threatened, I just rejected it. I didn't even care even if Breitbart was reporting it. I just was like, you know, that's probably not true. That's that's There's a good chance that is nothing but bullshit itself. And I think that's how we've gotten out here in the public, that nothing they say to us, Boogie, nothing we believe anymore. Mm. And we've just reached a point that we wait for the shoe to fall, for somebody to come out and say that's not accurate. And, yeah. uh, you know, eventually most times it's found not to be accurate. Yeah. And, and you know what? You know, that's a dangerous place for a society to be. You know, it is. I'm not. I'm is. not saying. I'm not saying that level of skepticism isn't without due cause. Like, don't get me wrong here. But this is something that you know people in intelligence and and stuff refer to as information apocalypse, where you that's just right. you just fill the space with so much misinformation and disinformation, where to the point where people can no longer discern truth at all. And the, the, what happens then is it makes it very, very easy for somebody to come in and sweep up power, you know, to just, to just uh, take control of the situation. And it could be through, you know, a catastrophic, uh, catastrophic mm. event, or it could be, you know, like this, this is the kind of thing that happens before a military coup takes place, Chris, in other parts of the world. 
Now, like nobody knows what side anybody's on, right? So then the evil, the evil dictator can come through and arrest whoever he wants, whether they're, whether they're telling the truth or otherwise. It doesn't matter. It's about eliminating your opponents and gaining full power because nobody can agree on who the good guys are and who the bad guys are and who's telling the truth and who's telling a lie. Whoever has the biggest will to power, and it's unfortunately, it's usually the bad guy, you know, because the good guys don't want to control your life. The good guys don't want to take power by force. So the bad guys are happy to do it. So, you know, if we can't tell who's telling the truth, who's telling a lie, what's right, what's wrong, who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, then all of a sudden it only takes one guy to present himself as the good guy, come through, wipe out all the good guys, and then all of a sudden you've got a bad guy on your hands, right? <laughs> absolutely, bro. Uh, absolutely. Ab- as James Roberts would say, absolutely. <laughs> i got to put that James R. chest in there. Absolutely. <laughs> can, I, can I just ask you, can I just ask you with your history in the newspaper game, and, you know, I've, I was somebody who was reading, you know, four or five newspapers a day when I was a teenager. So I learned, you know, this, this kind of thing just by, you know, doing it over and over and over again, learning how to read the way people write, learning how, you know, articles are structured. And, you know, I fell in love with long, for, uh, long form journalism. You don't even see it anymore, right? Um, you yeah. don't see, you know, five, six, seven, eight pages of detailed factual information referenced. You know, you don't just don't see it anymore. It's all tabloid. It must be incredibly depressing for somebody like you to see the state of Western journalism. Oh. Like we were once the pride, of, the sure. pride of the world. Our press was sure. once right up there, right? Like we used to laugh at the Soviet Union and we used to laugh at third world dictatorships for how you know, pardon the pun, deplorable their news services were. And now, now we're the butt of the joke. Now they're laughing at yeah. us. They I, are. I, it must be they incredibly are. depressing. And I got another story that you brought it to mind when you said that about the newspaper. And I, there was there there was a there was a a for, sort of a uh, preview of things to come that happened to me right right at the end of my tenure at that little paper. Uh, and you know, it's always the big wigs. We had a big wig come in from the the main office, the owners, the the actual ownership of the paper. And it, it began. It, it always it all these things never happen overnight. It's a gradual decline you know we Mm. we just didn't wake up one morning and the news media was corrupt this 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 started long ago and it's it's basically went from reporting facts to again just throwing your commentary in there with the story and uh and i'll just make this short there was a uh industry in in the city that i worked in that was going out of business and they were having some financial problems and i was sent to cover the reason and talk to the president and he uh, gave me a great interview, <clears throat> and my editor, my my copy editor, not the editor, but my copy editor, read the article. She loved it. She sent it up to the editor. Well, this bigwig was in town. He comes out and talks to me, and he says, uh, "Tell me about the salaries at the plant. Tell me, did you ask how much the lower people made? How much did the executives made? How much did the workers make?" And I said, "I, I, you know, I, it's in the story there," and he took. My sentence that that basically because I asked the president how much you know was the downsizing due to the salaries, how much was the downsizing due to cost production, that kind of thing, and he gave me a, a decent, just a straight answer. He didn't go into detail. Well, <clears throat> the guy turned the story around to make it look like we were insinuating that the administration of the plant was the reason for the bankruptcy when it was really supply and demand. <laughs> it wasn't salaries boogie. Yeah. It was just supply and demand. The, mm. the, 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 the thing that the plant was making had come and gone. The time for that product had come and gone. Yep. 
And I saw that guy out in the public about a month later. I wasn't even at the newspaper. He walked up to me. He walked up to me in the restaurant. And he sat down and he said, you are an SOB. And I said, excuse me, Um, which I may have been. But uh, he said, you are an SOB. He said, we gave you that story in good faith. And you went and wrote that that our executives basically bankrupted this plant uh, based upon salaries. I said, sir, I said, I didn't have anything to do with that. I said, my bosses are the ones that changed that story. I didn't write that story originally. But Boogie, it was a shot across the bow that the people at the top, and it's mm-hmm. always at the top these things take place. You know, reporters out in the field, 99% of them, at least in those days, all we did was report the facts. We yep. didn't add our two cents in. But the bureaucratic structure of the, the swamp part of the newspapers, they've got their opinions. And I think that's happening even now. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of these reporters, truth be told, they look at some of the stuff they write and it never is probably what they actually wrote. Some of it, that's not all of it, yep. but it's the, it's the echelon that does that. And it, that was just a simple storybook. And that shouldn't have been no controversy. We're going out of business, man, but they tinker with everything. They yep. want that narrative, whatever they want that narrative to be. That's what that narrative is. And I don't know if you remember the movie V where Natalie Portman was, uh, they were, he was say it, reading the news and she looked up at the news and she said, she's lying. And her boyfriend said, how do you know? She said, cause whenever she lies, her eye twitches or something, there was something that the girl did because she's lying. <laughs> and I think we've gotten to the point that hell, if the mouth is running, they're lying, they're lying. We don't even have to look for the eye twitching anymore, man. <laughs> and, and Nelson, I'll give it back to you. It's a dangerous place to be boogie because if you can't trust the information coming at you from media and the sources of information, uh, you're screwed. And I think that's why a lot of people just go directly to President Trump's Twitter account. That's where they get their headlines for the day. They don't go anywhere else. They yep. go directly to him. That's why that Twitter account has been the salvation of America. And mm-hmm. that's why it's been so powerful to do. Yeah, and that's why that's that's why the Democrats are trying to usurp that strategy for themselves in the case of Ocasio-Cortez and even Pocahontas drinking a beer. <laughs> Drinking a beer yeah, on a live stream. Drinking a beer, absolutely. You know, um, buddy, you got your um, pulse on the international scene, and there's been a developing story this afternoon, and I, I don't know how versed you are in it, but I'd like to get your take on it. Uh, it's not a big deal to me. I could give two shits in a win about Venezuela's Madero. I could care less. I think he's a crook. I think he's nothing but a thug. Uh, he's he's tore that country to pieces. These people are starving down there basically because of his socialist policies. Uh, President Trump has come out, supported the opposition leader. Uh, Boogie, I just think there's an uprising in this whole world right now that people want Donald Trump. They want somebody to fight for them like Donald Trump's fighting for America. They want somebody to fight for them. And I think that, uh, you know, people can agree or disagree with Trump supporting the opposition leader. <laughs> I thought it was a great move that he came out and and gave the, the backing mm-hmm. to this guy in Madero this afternoon. Uh, Maduro, whatever his name is, he he basically came out and say we're cutting relations with America. <laughs> I'm like, are, are you you think President Trump's going to walk around his White House tonight twiddling his thumbs, pacing up and down in word that you're cutting relations with us? Really? Are you kidding me? Do you think that really bothers Donald Trump? It don't. No. But uh, I'm just curious how you feel about all that because it's not just Venezuela, man. Uh, Brazil elected a pro mega candidate. Italy. We've had an uprising all over Europe. These uprisings, boogie, are signs to come. 
if we'll stay the course. And that's why, again, the media, not just in America, but globally, and this whole left-wing cabal and swamp, they are fighting so hard to destroy this mega movement. And you want to, if you want to chime in on Brexit, do that too, because that's another story in itself that uh, Merkel, not Merkel, but uh, May, basically, you know, she's hanging on for political life not right now because instead of just having a clean Brexit exit, they started tinkering with it and started making it swampy. British said, we don't want that. Yeah. Well, May's been hanging on a thread for, you know, quite some time now. This isn't a recent thing. She's almost right. in she's almost in an unwinnable position though. She is somebody who campaigned against Brexit. And I suspect the way David Cameron, the former PM, left and basically installed her. See, they were there was going to be a challenge from a guy named Boris Johnson, but at the last yes. minute his big supporter uh, stabbed him in the back, which effectively ended his run for PM. Now Boris Johnson was someone who was very pro Brexit. And the way that happened was it was set up to fail. You know, you can run, you can run, you can run. And then just before, bang, cut his throat and he can't do it. And then, of course, the only option left was Theresa May, who never wanted Brexit in the first place. So you might say that this was an orchestrated move from the beginning, from the very from the very time the vote came down. Okay, David Cameron, you've got to go. We've got to make sure that we put somebody in who can't get a result, who can't make a deal. We have to make the possibility of her actually making a deal that everybody agrees on practically impossible because I suspect the long-term goal as soon as the Brexit result was known was for there to be no Brexit. And, you know, the way these people think, Chris, they think in long-term goals. They don't think in short-term wins. We we tend to think in short-term wins. Hey, hey we, we got Brexit. Yay, we won, you know. We got Donald Trump. Yay, we won. You know, it, we held the Senate. Yay, we won. It doesn't really work that way, you know, because short-term wins are only to feed for long-term goals. You know, so if you don't actually have long-term goals, then your short-term wins amount to nothing because the person that's, you know, thinking long-term, like it might have been set up. I suspect that what might happen in the UK is that, uh, for some reason, uh, an election will be called relatively soon, maybe in the next six months. Theresa May will lose in a landslide. The socialist Jeremy Corbyn will win with a critical mass of power concentrated. He will then call for a second referendum, which will go the way of the Remain team, probably 60-40, and they'll say, okay, well, that's done, and we're not going anywhere. Thanks thanks for playing. Uh, you know, that's, right. yeah, that's five years down the drain, but, hey, we got the right result in the end. With um, With Venezuela, I think it's very funny. That you know, Maduro. Oh yeah. Well, no, not. I obviously I don't want you know civil unrest and I don't want civil war and that kind of thing. I think it's funny that Maduro came out and said, "I'm cutting ties with the U.S." If you'll know anything about Nicolas Maduro, he is the heir apparent from uh, Chavez, and Chavez, Chavez Chavez was essentially elected on the back of railing against American imperialism. You know, their right. whole their whole mantra was that the United States is a, a force for evil in South America. We will stand up to the United States. We're giving the big finger to the United States. So for Nicolas Maduro to come out and say, oh, well, we're cutting ties with the United States, I'm kind of like, I can't believe you had any in the first place. You know, like, well, <laughs> you, you've been threatening exactly war. Right. You've been threatening war with the United States. If, yeah. if I could just make a quick point, though, about I, I don't want to backtrack too much, but what you were saying about reporters, and I'll be very, very quick. And, you know, you, you say that back then, you know, most reporters were doing the right thing. I know I probably agree with you. And you, you would say that maybe most reporters now or a large number of reporters can look at a story and, you know, it gets tinkered at from above. 
I'm a little bit more, would you say, dark on that. And I've, I think I've got a pretty good reason for it and a pretty good argument for it. And it's, it's multifaceted, but I'll keep it brief. One of the reasons, okay. Okay. Well, one of the reasons is back in the day, Chris, the best and the brightest from the communications colleges and journalism schools used to get jobs at the papers. It was a job that you wanted and it was a job that you wanted for the right reasons. Now what happens is, you know, PR companies and politicians and, you know, various uh, private entities take the best and the brightest. What you're getting is the mediocre recruits. The mediocre recruits are now flooding the space in the news game. You've also got the introduction of social media, and that has completely changed the dynamic of what successful news has to look like. It's got to be clickbaity. It's got to be instantaneous because Twitter gets this. Twitter gets the jump on every single news organisation already by a factor of ten, and that's what you're competing against in the eyes of these people. And where you say, you know, they would do the right thing, I would say that that's not necessarily true. If you look at the purge of conservatives from uh, the academic world in the 1970s, we're now, we're now talking, Chris, in liberal arts colleges where communications and journalism and stuff is taught, you're now looking at a ratio of a, a basically there was a study put out a couple of years ago by I think Pew Research, which is considered the gold standard when it comes to unbiased objective uh, surveys and studies. You're looking at a ratio of 100 to 1 liberal professors to conservatives. Now, if you're dealing with that ratio, the people who you employ, okay, so the editor at the newspaper, the people up up high may have this bias towards the Democrat party. They may have this bias towards, you know, being an activist, but who are they going to employ? You call up the professor who taught you and you get on the phone to the professor and taught you and said, I've got an internship. Give me your best student. Well, I've got the best student right here. They're further left than Joseph Stalin. You're going to love them. And then you bring them in. And then that intern, then you don't have to give them directions. They're already programmed to be biased, Chris. They're already programmed to put their commentary into the story. They think it's the right way to do because that's what they were taught at the liberal colleges with the liberal professors where there is no conservative presence. And if you know anything about higher academics, you will know that the, the, the rate of activism in this area is off the charts. You can't, you can barely be a conservative speaker. If you were a conservative journalist back in the 1990s, Chris, you would now be booed off a stage at a university. Uh, speaking to journalism students, you would be called a fascist, a pusher of hate speech. They would practically burn the building to the ground to make sure that you don't speak there. Where do you think the journalists of today are coming from? Right? That's true, but you're right. You're right. I, and look, buddy, I... I, I, That's what, I sorry, sorry, I, sorry to interrupt, Chris. Sorry, to, sorry, sorry, Chris, can I add one more thing? Sorry to interrupt, but here's the hope. That's, right. why, that's why new media and alternative media is so important. That's, that's why. Yes, because the machine is operating as normal. You know, if you see biased reporting and you think this is wrong, I would suggest to you, no, this is the way it's been designed over the last 30 or 40 years, either accidentally or as, you know, as a result of just ideological subversion through the academic system and into the media. That's why alternative media is so important. People like you, people like James, people like Anne, you know, this, this whole circle. And there's so many people out there doing great work. Even if you're on, if you're on YouTube and you've got a hundred people watching and you're committed to the truth, you're making a difference, brother. You are making a difference. It is so important. Like all of these people, together. And that's why they need to be smothered because people who are looking for the truth and who want to give like their best account of the world and their observations, they have to go somewhere. And look, this is where we are now, right? That's why it's so important to keep this thing going. That's, that's our, that's our ace in the hole. 
you know, where they have lost credibility, that credibility has got to flow somewhere, right? And if you, as long yeah. as you've got good intentions, you're honest with your audience, you stick to your principles, well, then you're going to maintain it. Look, I, I mean, I'm with you. And again, I'm, we're not, we're not dis, in disagreement with that. Look, I, I'm not naive. I don't think that there's all these no. reporters for squeaky plane out here. Trust me on that. I'm just saying, I think that there is some of that. And I do believe, and again, that was 30 years ago when I was at that paper coming yep. up on 30. And, you know, things have changed. I mean, they have changed. And uh, even then, though, that was, there was some of that going on. And you could start to see the, 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 the beginnings of it. But it does come down to that individual reporter. And a lot of these reporters are liberal. They're, they, they're versed to write what they're writing. They're, they fit right at home. And um, look, I'm, I'm just going to say this. The conservatives, um, you know, they're also somewhat the same because they have an agenda. They want to press the right side of the, of the argument, which is fine. That's mm-hmm. fine. Because if you want a right view of something, go to that conservative journal. If you want a left view, go to that other paper or whatever. But when you're reporting the news and you're reporting the facts, your opinion does not need to be infiltrated into that story. Because what you think about it is for an opinion page, not a news page. And that's where a lot of people have have had problems with the TV networks. You got commentators parading around as journalists. When really they need their own damn show, and it, look, if if if, if you're going to tune in to uh, Sean Hannity, you know what Sean Hannity's going to do. He's a That's commentator. Right. He's not reporting the news. He's not necessarily has to be fair and balanced. And he wants to be. He can be. Yep. Um, I, this show's not fair and balanced, Boogie. I'm not going to have a liberal jackass come on my show and run his mouth. I'm not. I put it like this. I'm not going to put you on a panel with a liberal and give you two minutes to give your point and then give him twenty to spew his liberal crap and me. And, I, that's just bullshit. I'm not going to do that. Yep. And I don't think anybody wants that. And, you know, but if you're reporting the news, if it's American newsroom from whatever time they do their news and you got the reporters reporting the news and all of a sudden in the middle of the newscast, you know, they say, well, I believe this is what President Trump meant. And like you said, Acosta does, you know, uh, in my opinion, you know, there was a pale of uncertainty over this. That is not journalism. Mm-hmm. That is being a commentator. And if you want to be a commentator, get your own damn show and be a commentator. But sure. don't tell everybody you're a reporter because that's the difference. Buddy, um, great stuff there. We got about seven minutes, Boogie. I want you to do me a favor. I want to I want to give you an accolade. And uh, I don't know if you've got that graphic up, if you can find it that you posted about the uh, – you and James may have had it one night on one of your shows, and I know that it was on your Inst- uh, Twitter. But you hit a home run the last time we were together before the holidays. Uh, you nailed it. I mean, nailed it to the wall about Arcacia Cortez and the danger of her appeal to this country. And it came out, Boogie, a few weeks ago that her Twitter feed is second to only Donald Trump. And I found that amazingly uh, not shocking because you had predicted this is what was coming. We talked about it in detail. We won't rehash all that. Take about five minutes and tell us how, what your thoughts are about the that that is a danger going forward because all these candidates, Boogie, are getting the same. They're they're, they're taking a play page out of her playbook. They're appealing to people's emotions. Their policies are poison, but they are appealing to the emotional edge of the people, and they're connecting. And the Republicans had better get smart. There you yeah. go, right there. Look there at that. Go. So yeah, Donald Trump, and see, this is the thing. Um, 
Fourteen point three million. That was actually eleven point three million when I when I was talking about it a month ago. Yeah. So geez, it's Look actually it's Amazing. actually gone up. Um. Yeah. Because look. You know, like like we were just saying that why, you know, alternative new media. I don't even like the term alternative or new media. For me, it's all just media. It's all media. You know, they, you know and there's good people in it and there's bad people in it. And there's people who, you know, I don't, you know what you were saying about bias and stuff. I don't think people would even care. If you wear your bias on your sleeve, you know what you're getting. And it's, it's I think it's the people That's right. who. That's the, right. The people who feign objectivity, I think, are, you know, they're, they're a dying breed. They're a dinosaur. And you know you you can't feign objectivity. You either have it or you don't. And if you don't, you're going to be found out. You're going to be found out. And there's a lot of people who are very good at just reporting. I think. And you know they they'll have a future if that's what you know because we need just reporters too. We not everybody can be an opinion journalist, right? There's going to have to be reporters in in the mix somewhere. And if you if you've got that commitment to those principles and those ethics that Western journalism had for such a long time, then you're going to make it. You'll be fine in the future. And you'll probably find a good home on new media, right? Because that's crying right. out for that stuff. But yeah, Acacia Cortez, we were talking about it, weren't we? And, you know, she was able to bring down the Democrat Party establishment with a phone in a kitchen with no budget. Right. She's, she's driving the agenda in Washington for a large part. You know, not as much as Donald Trump, say, but definitely on the Democrat side of the aisle, Nancy Pelosi is terrified of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Don't let it fool yeah. you. Don't let it fool you. The establishment Democrats are terrified of Ocasio-Cortez. And actually look at what she's doing. Um, we were talking, well, we weren't talking about it. It was on Twitter maybe a week after our conversation or two weeks after. There's a nice little selfie with Ocasio-Cortez and Mr. Liu from California. And I think Kamala Harris was in there. And it was, oh, yeah, the Democrats are just getting together to take a Twitter class from Ocasio-Cortez, right? <laughs> so she's exactly. passing she's passing the knowledge on. What, what do people do with Donald Trump? Chris, 80% of the Republicans on Capitol Hill argue that they need to take Donald Trump's phone away. That's, that's how far <laughs> off the ball they are. That's how far exactly. out of the game they are. That's why we say, isn't it? That's it's not for me to say. Look, I'm I'm not an American. I don't vote. I just observe, like from afar. But that's why a lot of people say, "Hey, you know, guys, he can't do it on his own. You know, like he's going to have to have a team. People are going to have to get behind him. People are going to have to join in this thing, because right now he's dominating with 40, 41 million compared to fourteen million. But they are closing the gap. And if you add up all of those other numbers, like look, we're a long way down the list before we get to Sean Hannity. Sean exactly. Hannity's down here at 1.6. All the rest are Democrats. All the rest of them. And liberals. And liberals. Yeah. And if you add them all up, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's suddenly it's a close fight. So other people are going to have to get involved. And, you know, the, the great talent of Ocasio-Cortez, and I, I, I don't think Ilan Omar is, is as talented as Ocasio-Cortez, but again, they have this genuine appeal for whatever reason to the people. Now, some of the things that Ilan Omar says might be, you know, abhorrent to people who watch this show. But you've again, you've got to remove your own, you, you've got to remove your own preferences from the situation. What are the people voting for her want? If you're if you're in a position where you believe the world is ending in twelve years due to climate change, then what kind of emotional appeals work for you? Yeah, it's very difficult to fight against that. These people are figuring the game out. You know, Wab uh, Bolsonaro. Um, Chris in Brazil. Now WhatsApp, you know the you know the social media messaging service called WhatsApp, right? It's a bit like Telegram. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. 
I did a podcast in on October 18 last year talking about a report in the New York Times where they were blaming the election of Bolsonaro on WhatsApp. And it was groups on WhatsApp sharing, quote unquote, fake news and memes to change the election. And these people are terrified of this power, but they're only going to be terrified of it as long as they're not in control of it. Right now, people like Ocasio-Cortez are working to wrangle that, you know, wrangle that sucker to the ground. They are looking to take control of this thing. And when they do, the tables are going to be turned big time because all of a sudden, you know, the further her reach goes, the harder the job gets. You know what I mean? Exactly. You know, pretending that she's just an idiot and she's, she'll go away and it's not going to be a problem. It is going to be a problem. And it might not even be her, but it's, it's, about, it's about the new style of campaigning that we are going to see in our lifetime in the very, very, very short future. Yeah, it's not in the not too distant future. This is going to be the norm. And if we don't figure out a way to combat it effectively, we're going to be in big trouble in the future elections, Chris. I'm sorry to say, (laughs) I don't want to be doom and gloom. We could do a whole new, we could do a whole new show. And again, I don't think it would be too much to to literally do a show what we just talked about back in the in the winter, Mm -hmm. because they we we cannot underestimate these people. We do it at our peril. And, and and again, I, I, I despise smugness. I, that's one of the traits in a person. I just I, of all the traits of an individual that can have that just turns me off more than anything else. And that smugness and this attitude that that, you know, we, we've got all the answers and we're, we're not going to fail and all this stuff. And look, a little humility goes a long way. Mm-hmm. We may not fail, but it's good to have some reality and a dose of reality every now and then to to, to be mixed with the arrogance because we don't know boogie what's ahead. And I'm going to tell you something, buddy. Um, if you notice, and we will wrap this up. Um, if you notice that every time that she speaks, there's a camera and a microphone in front of her mouth. Yep. I have never seen a freshman Senator or uh, not Senator, a freshman Congresswoman get this much press ever that exactly. I can ever remember. I've never seen it. Have you? I mean, it's just amazing how they just fall over her. And as you said, I think Pelosi is so scared of her. That's why she's putting her on these committees because she knows good and well, if she loses that edge of the democratic party, Democrats are going to go away in a quick hurry. That's right. And she, and, and she knows that. Yep. And, uh, it, well, it is amazing to me how to, to, to tie a bow around the whole conversation, Chris, we've basically been talking about, you know, the death of the media and, you know, coming back with Ocasio Cortez um, you know, do you really wonder why the media races to stick a microphone in front of a face and a camera in a face? Like, look at the conversation we've just had. Look at the state of Western media now. There, there, there will be no follow-up questions. There will be no questioning of her claims about unemployment or the economics or why the world is going to end in 12 years. There will just, there will just be a cavalcade of sycophantic cheerleaders because, because unfortunately for us, that's the state of corporate media today. That's what the people, that's what they want. That's what they cheer for. That's what they celebrate. The idiocy, the shallowness, the popularity contest, because it's all driven off, you know, clickbait and social media and vapid engagement stats. Boogie, without a doubt, you're right. Uh, I noticed that Barack Obama was third on that list. Uh, I'm yes. just wondering, how's he tweeting from Gitmo right now? You know, I don't know how that <laughs> happened. Uh, I, I'm just curious. You know, I saw something today I thought was funny. It said that the Trump economy is so great 
that Barack Obama has applied for citizenship. So that's great to know. So. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> hey, you got to go out with a laugh when Chris McDonald and Boogie Bummer get together, buddy. You know that, man. Absolutely. Both we, we have so enjoyed having Boogie again on tonight on the Mac Files broadcast. And he's all welcome here. We I know our schedule gets sort of busy sometimes, and we don't do these as often as we should. But we'll try to change that this year. Boogie, you're always welcome, my friend, and always a pleasure to have you on. And we love having you co-host Sunday with us on Pirate Radio. We appreciate that. Me and James Bo uh, have a have a blast. And uh, Boogie's got a show on Thursday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. He follows us actually on Thursday, and then uh, him and James have the Tab Show on Sunday night still. And uh, we appreciate Boogie and his uh, in, importance down there, down under. And uh, Boogie, I hope you have a great New Year ahead, my friend. And looking forward to more and more of these discussions. And uh, look, don't be going out and buying no Arcacia Cortez's uh, I'm, I'm Her Boyfriend shirts, okay? Please, don't don't be showing up with any of that crap on my show. Because your ass will be ejected immediately, okay? I'm just saying. I'm well, just you, saying. Well, you know, you know I taught her how to dance, don't you? <laughs> that's why they call it down under baby that's why they call it down under that's why you Aussies are good right that's right God bless you out there before I get in trouble God bless America God bless your family God bless the great nation of Australia as well and Boogie Bumper and his family God bless you Boogie we appreciate you man folks until next time Chris McDonald Mac Files have a good evening have a good time until next time thank you Boogie again God bless everybody good night. thank you